Where the Spirit of the Lord is freedom Amen Wonderful to see you uh, the those who weren't aware it was my birthday on Thursday Thank you And due to not opposite contrary belief I am not 50 Okay I'm only 49 Okay So I'll hang on to that for another year but the good news is, in a year's time, I can officially join Silver Liners. Come on! <laughs> Fantastic. You've got your Bibles. You want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be unpacking uh, chapter 5, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 about how, as Christians, it mattered how we walked, how we talked how we thought about others and how we treated other people. But this week we're going to look at three things in this passage from Ephesians chapter 5. And it's how to walk as Christians in this generation. We need to walk in love, we need to walk in the light, we need to walk in wisdom. Got that first slide? Fantastic. So I'm reading for the New International Version. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 120 says this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people." Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, that no immoral person, no one who is impure or greedy, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and his Christ." Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live, therefore, as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth. And find out what pleased the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what is done by the disobedient in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because you know the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us today as we unpack your word, 
as we get into the marrow of your word, inspire our hearts, we pray, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's three phases that appear in this passage, and they are walk in love, or live in love, walk in the light, or live in the light, and walk wise. There's a trinity of walking that we should adopt as Christians. As Christians, we are called not just to walk in love. We're called to walk in love, but also to walk in light, and also to walk in wisdom. And if you divorce those three from each other, you miss the whole picture of the purposes of God for our lives and for our communities. See, love is great. Love is wonderful. Who thinks love is marvellous? We all think love is great. But the world's concept of love is strange. For the world, love means we accept you for who you are, no matter what you do. And I'm told by the people around me that as a Christian, I should be a man of love. So when I went to Specsavers and they asked me what my opinion was of certain behaviours, certain actions and reactions, they were surprised that a Christian man didn't accept and condone and approve of other people's lifestyles. But whilst I am a man of love, and we are called to be men and women of love, we're also called to have that tempered by light. See, love embraces, love draws people in, but light exposes. And the thing is, Jesus was a man who was both full of grace and truth. And in our lives as Christians, we have to, we're called to love everybody, but also called to speak the truth in love. And that truth is like a light that shines in the darkness. People will love you because you love them, but they will hate you because you're a man or woman of light. And how we marry these two extremes together of love and light takes wisdom. <laughs> And as we walk in wisdom, we can understand how I can relate to someone with love, but also relate to them with light. See, light clears up the ambiguity. Light clarifies the situation. Light cleans out the darkness. And when we go into our world, into our workplace on a Monday morning, we bring the love of Jesus, we also bring the light of Jesus. And some people will love you, but others will hate you. If you want to be popular, you picked the wrong faith. <laughs> See, it says in John chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus was a man full of grace and truth. And we need to learn today how we can imbibe those two values into our experience, our walk, and our talk. We are people of grace and we're people of truth. You see, grace that isn't embedded in truth is license. In other words, if you've got no truth in your life, you just live where you want to, do what you like, it doesn't really matter. So grace that isn't embedded in truth is license. But truth that isn't embedded in grace is legalism. Do you follow me? See, if we've got truth, but we've got no love or grace in our hearts, we just lay down the law and the regulations... And not understand the heart of God. So we need to be filled full of these two opposing forces of truth and grace. And that is only carried together as we walk in wisdom. Are you wise today? If you're like me, we will tend to flip from one extreme to another. But God wants us to walk in a balanced way that our lives echo those two qualities of Christ. Full of grace and truth. The thing is, we have... A moral code that's been passed down to us from heaven. 
God has imparted to us his way of life that we are called to mirror and reflect in our world. The trouble is, so often we allow the world to set our standard of moral behavior, and we just want to fit in what the world does. We're called to clash. We're called to be opposite to the world, not called to live as the world lives. You see, our standards of moral behavior will change from generation to generation, from the country that we live in, and from those people who are in government. See, in this country, the age of consent is 16. In Ireland, it's 18. In Spain, it's 13. In Germany, it's 14. And what we consider in this country to be awful, in Germany, is legal. But we don't follow the rules of this world. We follow the rules of the kingdom. And what he says is right, is what is right. Because the shifting sands of popular opinion change like the weather. But the truth of God is like a rock that never moves. And because of that, we have to base our morality and our lifestyle not on what men say, but what the Word of God says. Because everything will shift. Now the thing is, this world is shifting all the time. A man called Don Carson wrote a book called The Intolerance of Tolerance. A few years ago, tolerance meant that you put up with someone who held a different opinion. I disagree with you, but we can dialogue, we can talk about it, but I will tolerant of your beliefs, even though I disagree with you. That's tolerant. But nowadays, tolerance means something completely different. It means you have to accept everyone's position. You can't say to anyone that they're wrong. It's just a matter of opinion. Jesus didn't say, I am a way, I am a possible option for you. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We live in a world that is rejecting absolutes completely, but our God is a God of absolutes. There is a door to go through. It's the door of Jesus Christ. There's one answer, there's one solution to the problems of the world. It's not found in public opinion. It's found in Jesus Christ. And because of this one truth, we are at odds with the world we live in today. People will accept you for whatever you want to believe in until you say that yours is the only way. The second you say that I have the only way to salvation because I found Jesus, you are at odds with the world. But guess what? That's where we're supposed to be. Athanasius, the early church father in 367, was asked the question, why do you persist in believing that Jesus Christ is God? The whole world's against you. No one believes that. And Athanasius says, if the whole world is against me, then I'm against the whole world. If you base your faith on public or popular opinion, you're in trouble. Our faith is based on the living and enduring, unchanging word of God. As a rock of our lives, as a foundation. So let's turn to verse 1. Walk in love. Walk in love. It's always a step of faith to walk in love. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dear love children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. The word example, or in some versions, be imitators of God, is the word we get the word mimic from. Jonathan, my son, mimics me all the time. He will copy me all the time. All my good habits... I see exemplified in Jonathan and all Diane's bad habits. I, 
<laughs> he copies everything I do. And we are called as Christians to mimic God, to become imitators of him. So as we, as we gaze upon his character and nature, we become like him. Now, and the more we gaze upon Jesus, the Bible says, when we see him, we will be like him. And the more we gaze upon him, the more we are transformed into his light. Moses came down from the mountain. His face was shining, glowing, bright, because he's seen and encountered the living God. And in our Christian lives, it's not about knowing more or doing more. It's about encountering the power and the presence of the living God in our lives. Because the more we gaze upon him, the more we are transformed by him to walk in love. To walk in love means this, to have our whole lives governed, dominated and directed by love. The love is the motivation behind all that we are and all that we do. If what we do is motivated out of ambition or popularity or wanting to be um, a certain character, then we miss the heart of God. Only that which is birthed in love is pleasing to God. So let's examine our hearts for a moment. What is my heart like? Am I a man, a woman of love? See, in 1 John, it says in the Greek, Ho theos agape estin. God is love. It is a quintessential characteristic of the heart of God. He's loving in all he does. And therefore, we need to mirror and mimic that love in our world. How has God loved us? It says he gave up of himself for us. Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. See, in the very heart of God is a sacrificial nature. Love is not about getting what I want, fulfilling my needs. It's about surrendering our needs for the sake of others. It's about giving, not getting. We live in a world where we, we are seen on TV about media and about how love should be and what love is all about. It's all about satisfying your disease, desires. It's a disease. Maybe, should, maybe that's more accurate. Satisfying your desires. Oh, I need this. I want that. But love is selfless. Love is pouring out of ourselves into the lives of other people. Consider ourselves nothing that others may be blessed. And Christ exemplified that on the cross. Philippians chapter 2 says, He took on the very nature of a servant, was found in human likeness. He became like us. He laid it all aside. Kenosis. He emptied himself of everything for us. Jesus says in John 13, 34, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know, our hearts are desperately wicked. There's always hidden motives in our hearts. But we just need to lay bare our hearts for God today. Say, God, just take me, mold me, shape me according to your purpose and design. Don't want to live the way I used to live. He offered the sacrifice of himself upon that cross for you and for me. It says in verse 3, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper 
for God's holy people. If we're living a life of love, there is a lifestyle that is in accordance with that choice that we make. There is a behavior, there's a response that is in line with the purpose of God. But when we start to do things that are outside that line, we come into conflict with the purposes of God in our lives. So we need to align ourselves to all that God has for us. It says hint. It can be a hint. You know, when you do some cooking, you put a little hint of lemon in or a little hint of spice just to change the flavor. Now, there shouldn't be even a little flavor of sin in our lives. We should be completely free from that. But the word here doesn't mean a hint of flavor. It means conversation. Don't even mention anything to do with sexual immorality. When me and Diane got married a number of years ago, we made a vow to each other. Not just the wedding vows, we promised they would never mention the D word. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Dishes. Dishes. <laughs> Very funny, Mark. Dishes. No, it was the word divorce. Whether in fun or in anger or in jest, we'll never mention the D word. Because we don't want even that to be on our lips as a couple when talking to each other. Don't want to give the devil any kind of foothold in our lives. So why do I say that? Because thoughts become words. Words become actions. Actions become habits. Habits become a lifestyle. And lifestyles become a destiny. So often, we let the devil get in at the very beginning, just a small seed of doubt or unbelief or questioning or suspicion, and we allow that seed to grow in our hearts until it takes over. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head we can stop them building a nest in your hair. This doesn't apply to Chris. <laughs> we need to stop the thought process before it starts. Verse 5. For you can be sure of this, that no immoral person, no one impure or greedy... Such a person is an idolater, and they, have, and they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. I love this church because this church has open doors. And anyone can come. Anyone can come. Muslims, Hindus, homosexuals, atheists, pagans... Even Notts County supporters can come. Anyone can come. The doors open wide. And they will come. But when they come, they can't stay as they are. See, love opens the door. Love allows all to come. But light allows everyone to change. Love allows everyone to come, but light allows everyone to change. As you gaze upon the light of Christ, you see your sin, you see your shame, and you know you have to change. Isn't it great to be part of a church where anyone can come? But they can't stay the way they are. Now, in the world, people say to me, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Excluding people from the kingdom of God. Surely God's a God of love. Surely he'll let anybody into heaven. But God is a God of love. 
but he's also a God of light. And he cannot compromise who he is. He cannot let sin into heaven. Don't be deceived, don't be fooled for a second. If you're living in sin, if you're living away from God, you cannot be accepted without repentance. God loves you. But he loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. (laughs) The love of this world says, accept everyone as they are. Let them continue to be as they are. But God says, I love them too much to have their lives ruined by sin and by sexual immorality and impurity. I want them to change. Not just for eternity, but also for this life. Today we need to understand something that isn't often taught. We need to understand the extreme holiness of God. God is not God Almighty. All right, Bud, how are you doing? I'm all right, man. How are you? Very good. God is God Almighty. The Bible says that he lives in unapproachable light. He is radiant in his holiness. He is awesome in his holiness. One moment in his presence without the blood of Jesus will be consumed. You see, we've forgotten how far we've fallen from his design. We've lost a picture of his extreme holiness, but also lost a picture of the ugliness of our sin. This isn't a gospel message, this is for believers. We've forgotten how ugly and how horrible sin is, and how offensive it is to God. If you want to go home now, you can go home. Please make your way out to the excess. <laughs> but our sin is offensive to God. It is horrible to him. He hates it. And because of our sin, the wrath of God rightly is set upon our hearts. The Bible says that we, by nature, were objects of God's wrath. Cheery little message this morning. But when we understand the enormity of his holiness, the extravagance of his holiness, when we understand the the horror and the ugliness of our sin, then and then only can we understand the true wonder of the sacrifice of Christ. The Bible says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This message that we preach It's not life improvement. We don't preach a message to make your life a bit better. That's not a solution. He wants to kill you. (laughs) He wants to bring the old self to an end, to completely destroy it, that you may live a new life. Let me just clear this up. Jesus on the cross... His primary focus was not to change your heart. His primary focus was to change the heart of God towards you. Do you understand? Jesus died on the cross to make a transaction between him and his father. Because your sins had caused an offence between you and God the Father. Bible says, Isaiah 59 verse 2, Your sins have separated you from God. Your iniquities have hidden his face from you. 
Jesus died on the cross to make a transaction first and foremost with God the Father. And because of that great sacrifice, we become beneficiaries of that atoning sacrifice. The Old Testament, the Old Versions say this great word, propitiation. Propitiation. Who knows that word? It's a great word. Propitiation means someone who turns aside the wrath of God. I am so grateful that Jesus rescued me. Because I was deserving of hell. Nothing in back was even good enough to even get a glimpse of heaven. But Jesus steps down to my humanity and pulls me out of the grave and infuses life into me. Not because of my merit, because of his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The mercy of God lavished upon us that we should become the children of God. Verse 6, do not be deceived by empty words. Because such things, God's wrath is coming upon those who are disobedient. Vincent, the great theologian, says this. Empty words are plausible, but devoid of all truth. And employed to palliate heathen vices. Palliate. Who knows what the word palliate means? Fantastic. Okay, if you have palliative care... What's that mean? It means they can't cure you. They just want to minimise the pain. They, they can't make you any better. They just make your life a bit easier. And I know some people here have been through difficult moments, and I'm sorry to even mention that word in public. But I just sense today that unless we preach the cross of Christ, Unless we preach the blood of Jesus. Unless we preach the new birth. All our preaching is in vain. It's merely palliative care for the soul. We seek to make people's life a bit easier, a bit happier, just to help them through the hard times. But God wants to revolutionize us from the inside out. He wants to make us brand new. Are you still with me? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, when I was amongst you, I resolved nothing to know except Christ and him crucified. I don't want to deal with the symptoms of sin. I don't want to deal with the causes. And the only remedy for the cause is the blood of Jesus. I've heard, told this story before, I'll tell it again. A new convert goes to the prayer meeting. And during the prayer meeting, this dear saint of God stands up and says, Dear Lord Jesus, come and blow the cobwebs out of our lives. This young Christian is impressed. Next week, he comes back and this dear old saint stands up and says the same prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, come and blow the cobwebs out of our lives. The man thought, this is a bit strange, same prayer. Two weeks in the trot. Third week, he comes back and the 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 person says, Please come and blow the cobwebs out of our lives. And this young Christian gets an inspiration and says, Oh God, please stamp on the spider. <laughs> now, sometimes we want Jesus to make our lives a bit better. And he does. <laughs> he does. But he wants to deal with the cause. At the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. 
Jesus wants to make us completely brand new on the inside. Sin is the cause of that condition. And the only remedy is found in the blood of Jesus. His blood that was sent primarily to turn away God's wrath from mankind. Secondly, to change the heart of a believer. And third, to break every power of dominion and hell over our lives. Our next slide. Walking light. We're almost finished. You can relax. We're finished at quarter two, I promise. It says in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. We need to live as children of light. That wherever we go, we spread the love of Jesus, but we also spend the light of Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's time to let our light shine in our world. And how do you make that shine? By three characteristics. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness is the active goodness that benefits other people. Not just good intrinsically, but good in action. That you make your work colleagues a coffee. You come back from your work break on time. You help people with their work. You support others. You chat to people. You encourage people. You are goodness in your workplace. Secondly, righteousness. An active, right living that sets an example to others to follow. Are you an example in your workplace? Are you an example in your family, family, your friendship groups of righteousness? And secondly, thirdly, truth. We need to be consistent in who we are. People examine our lives, you know, to see whether we were really on fire for him or not. We are under the scrutiny of the world all the time. And that's why Jesus says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from among the dead. Start to live a life filled with love, filled with wisdom, and filled with light. See, we all make mistakes. We all fall, we all stumble, but God can pick us up. See, I said it before, but failure is not final nor fatal. Failure only becomes fatal when we embrace it as the normal. I'll say that again. Failure only becomes fatal when we embrace it as the normal. And our last slide this morning. We need to walk wisely. Be careful, verse 15 says, then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because you know the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Living wisely means the word expresses that accuracy, which is the outcome of carefulness. If only we could engage our brain before we spoke. (laughs) How much trouble would we save ourselves 
if we just slip our mouth out of gear for a second, pause, think, okay, let me consider what I'm about to say. Let me consider what I'm about to do. So the Bible says whenever we're tempted, God gives us a way to stand up or escape that temptation. But sometimes we just let ourselves steam into it without even pausing to stop and think. It's, I want to encourage you to stop for a second and just analyze your reactions, your actions, and your thoughts. And don't let it run out of control. Next thing is, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. The word redeem means to buy back. But the word time in Greek is not chronos, it's kairos. The word kairos means divinely appointed seasons in our lives when God works and acts in a supernatural way. We can buy back those divinely appointed moments that we missed. Have you missed your opportunity? Has that door closed over your life? Have the promises of God fallen to the ground without being fulfilled? Let me say tonight, today, it's tonight, it's been a long service. Let me just say today, we are able to redeem back those divinely appointed moments over our lives that we missed for purpose. And finally, do not get drunk on wine. The word drunk in Greek is to be soaked in wine. Do not get soaked in wine. But instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants to soak us with his presence. Soak us, overwhelm us with his glory. We may live this life. We can't do this work. We can't walk this walk. We can't talk this talk without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So let's stand together. Time's gone. Most translators translate that verse, be ye habitually, normally, continually being filled by the Holy Spirit. There's another nuance in the Greek that says, let the Holy Spirit govern, control, and direct your life. And God, today, as we close this meeting, I want to pray. You would help us be men and women who are controlled, governed, directed, and led, not by our own will or purpose, but by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, today this world is getting darker, and we need to be people of light. So God, Holy Spirit, come right now and blow upon the embers of our hearts. Blow upon the coldness of our hearts and let faith arise. That we live passionately, and sold out for you in this generation, O oh God. Help us today, O oh God, we pray, to live a life of love, to live a life of light, and to live and walk wisely in this generation, because we know the days are evil. So Holy Spirit, come right now and fill each one, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.